Lord, we thank you for the ministry of your word and the power of your spirit in our lives. May we have ears to hear and obey what the spirit is saying in Jesus' name. This morning, I want to share with you a message on battle lines. How many of you know that battle lines are being drawn? How many of you know that Russia stood on the borders of the Ukraine saying, we're not doing anything here, we're just hanging out? The border lines were drawn, and they crossed over them. They crossed a line. And because of that bold act, they have signaled the rest of the world, we're going to do what we want to do. The fear is that other nations will have that same sense with the political uh, um, air in the earth right now. People are taking their opportunities to move and adjust, and battle lines are being drawn and redrawn. The fear with Russia invading uh, the Ukraine is that now China may feel emboldened to attack Taiwan as they've been lining those borders as well. Russia says we want to keep our oil, keep the, the uh, minerals and everything that the Ukraine has. China may want to as well with Taiwan move in, which then emboldens more war and more battle lines for North Korea to take South Korea as it has desired for many, many years. In other words, armies are moving to the battle lines. We can see it. We can hear it. We watch this going on. It causes many to fear. We haven't seen anything like this since World War II, potentially, for a third world war. And that can be disturbing, and that can be a real problem for us. But how many of you know that none of that happens on earth until things have already taken place in the heavenlies? Battle lines have already been drawn, and though armies may have mustered at the battle lines and armies have been emboldened, there's an army that God's been raising up for years and years. Over the last hundred years, God has been raising up a church that is ready to do war in the heavenlies. Over the last hundred years, God has poured out His Spirit upon His church, training her in deliverance, training her in spiritual warfare, training her in hand-to-hand gospel combat to do the will of the Lord. God's got an army, and these battle lines don't take Him by surprise. God is ready, and He's positioned you to be ready, His church. We trust that we're ready to do the will of the Lord. God is calling us to do so. I don't want you to be discouraged nor dismayed. I don't want your hearts to faint, but I want you to be ready and on call for the war that we're called to. God has prepared us. When you look at this and understand the bigger picture, that the world's population is 7.9 billion people, but a third of it, 2.38 billion, are Christians. Now that's a high percentage. Amen? It is estimated that Christians will have an expected 1 billion population by 2050 if the Lord tarries. So population will increase to 9 billion, but they're looking to see Christianity increase to potentially 1 billion people as well. Now, out of that 2.38 billion Christians worldwide, 644.3 million are spirit-filled believers. God has been 
pouring out His Spirit over the last century to raise up a Spirit-empowered church, a church that knows how to pray, knows how to intercede, knows how to command deliverance from demonic forces and pull down strongholds. Spirit-filled believers or Pentecostals are the fastest-growing church denomination or movement in the history of the church. Listen to this. The world's population rate is 1.2% per year, but the Pentecostal growth rate is 5.6% per year. It doesn't take much to figure out that the church is on fire. You may not see it or recognize it in the United States because in the United States we are in a place where there is unabashed self uh, sufficiency and self-indulgence. But I'm here to tell you that cannot be sustained. And so when this world begins to collapse, when our nation begins to collapse because of the foolishness of their unbelief and the uh, unrestrained lasciviousness will fail because it cannot be sustained, they will be looking for an answer. They will be looking for truth, and you are that truth. You have that word for the people who are going to need it. Did you know that there are more Christian believers found worshiping in China on any given Sunday than in the United States of America? So even though they're under persecution, they are growing by leaps and bounds. The most Christianized nation in the world is Brazil. It's in the southern hemisphere that God is moving powerfully and ferociously by the gospel. The United States no longer takes the lead in Christianity. The southern hemisphere does, and we have a lot to learn from them. And that is the passion of the Spirit of God in everyday life. I'm excited, though the world looks like it's not religious, it is in fact becoming more religious than ever before, and Christianity is the force that is doing that. I'm excited that the Wycliffe Bible Translation campaign says that they trust by 2033 they will translate the Bible in every human language known. That's just 11 years from now. Every human language. What's the significance? And Jesus said this, And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then the end shall come. 2033, it's no uh, uh, accident that 2033 is exactly 2,000 years after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, that the Word of God will be translated into every known tongue so that as a witness to every nation, it doesn't mean everyone's going to be saved, but it will be a witness to every nation in every language that Jesus Christ is Lord. Amen? The church is on the move. Don't be deceived. And don't be surprised when God calls you to work in this army of God. The battle lines have been drawn. Turn with me to Luke 22, verses 50 to 53. I want to share with you a message. Uh, this verse was highlighted to me this weekend. I was in Florida uh, at a conference for the uh, Pentecostal Christian Churches of North America and what God's doing through all the denominations of the Pentecostal churches. And God is on the move. The Spirit of God is powerful. 
brother shared this one portion of scripture, and I want to share it with you. It's when Jesus was going to be arrested. He was in the Garden of Gethsemane. He asked Peter, James, and John to pray with him in this hour. And as Jesus went off to pray, it says in the Gospel of Luke that Peter, James, and John were so tired and exhausted from grief that they fell asleep. Jesus came back and said, well, the Spirit's willing, but the flesh is weak. They couldn't take the idea that their Messiah, their Lord, their Savior would be taken away or arrested. Peter said, no, I'll have none of this. So when the soldiers came forth, Judas walked up to Jesus and kissed him on the cheek. And the soldiers said, which one of you is Jesus? And the Gospel of John tells us that when Jesus said, I am, the soldiers fell under the power of that declaration. They got back up and came towards him. And the, uh, the uh, servant of the high priest was there, and Peter said, we'll have none of this, and pulled out a sword and swung to cut off the servant's ear. And Jesus said this, no more of this, no more of this. And he reached and mended and healed the man's ear. And as the preacher was talking this weekend, he said, this is likened unto the church. Here, the church is supposed to bring the gospel, the good news of the message of Christ. And instead, Peter did what the world does and picked up a sword to fight like the world. And Jesus said, no more. No more of this. We're not going to fight our battles like the world. In fact, he cut off the ear, the very thing that the world needs to hear from the church. We've deafened them by our testimony. Our testimony has failed. Our witness has failed. We've cut off the ear of the world from our declaration because they look at us and they can't see Jesus. We cannot do this anymore. The battle lines are drawn. We must fight this fight as Jesus would. The fight is in the heavenlies, not with other people. We're to win the lost for Christ. We're to show them the love. We're not, when, we get, when they strike us, we're not to strike them back. We're to turn the other cheek. When they cuss at us, we don't cuss back. When they put us down, we don't put them down. When they slander and gossip us, we don't gossip and slander. No more of this. Walk as Christ would walk. No more walking like the world. No more fighting like the world. We're the army of God wrapped in light and we are a witness and testimony to who Jesus is. And this is how God is having us fight this fight. How are we going to fight it? Person to person. One person at a time. We don't need one special person, one special preacher. It's not going to be one person in the White House that will change everything. It's not going to be one governor in the governor's offices that's going to fix everything. It's not going to be an economic plan that's going to fix everything. It's the Prince of Peace, the Lord of Glory, the King of Kings. Jesus alone is our answer. And every person that obeys preaching the gospel, living the gospel, caring one to another is what will change this planet. That's where the battle lines are drawn, person to person. 
And you are on the battle line. You're in the battlefield, person to person, with your neighbor, with your family, with your friends. Share Christ. Share this gospel, person to person. Jesus showed us how he did that. He went into Samaria. And as he was going into Samaria, the rest of the disciples said, we're hungry. We're going to Burger King. He said, fine, go. But I have to go through Samaria. Why? There was one person. The power of one. One woman. Now, I'll tell you what, out of that city, if you were going to elect, if you were going to pick one person to bring revival to that city, it sure wouldn't have been that lady at the well. I shouldn't say lady, I'll say woman. She's living with one guy, formerly had five other husbands. But Jesus saw her well before she was there. This, this was in the heavenlies that he drew the lines. He understood where the battle was. And as that woman came forth, he taught her who he was. And he taught her that the Father is seeking those who will seek him in spirit and in truth. He saw a hunger in that woman for truth. He saw a hunger in that woman seeking Father. She was misaligned. She had no idea the right God. But she saw uh, Jesus and found the way, the living water. And she wanted to drink. Amen? And in that, the one, Jesus spoke to her and she went back into Samaria and she brought revival to them so that the next time Jesus came, they came out to him and said, stay here and preach. They wanted the rest of the gospel. It's the same with the demoniac and the Gerardines in the cemetery, this madman, this demonic infested person. How many of you know that the next level, the next group of church leaders are going to be former demonics, former drug addicts, former uh, prostitutes, former adulterers, that no one's qualified in the sense of their own ability, but once they're filled with the Spirit, the boldness they once had is now going to be for the kingdom of God. How many of you know that the next generation is going to be the greatest generation ready to fight in this field? It's time for the church to stop denigrating and putting down young people and slandering them because that's the next level of leadership coming and they're going to be filled with the Spirit of God. They're tired of looking at the church and saying, what a bunch of people who don't do anything. I need a real experience with God. So let's work together with them. There is no division of age in the kingdom. How many of you know that? There is no old. There is no young. There's one people of God working as an army. Amen? This demonic man, God saw him. Jesus healed him, delivered him, and he said, I'm following you, Jesus. And he said, no, you go back into that city. And he did. So the next time Jesus came to that city, there was revival. The first time, they were scared of them. They said, you get out of here. First of all, you killed all our pigs. They're floating belly up in the water. They were scared of them. But because that demoniac who once they were afraid of now brought them to Jesus, and now they were ready to receive him. What we once were is no longer. It's who we're becoming in Christ Jesus. Amen? It's like the Ethiopian eunuch that Philip went and ministered to. He, Philip asked him, do you understand? He said, I don't understand what I'm reading unless you could help me understand. One-on-one, -on -one, person to person, the battle line is the power of one. And he went to that Ethiopian eunuch and shared with him Isaiah 53, 59. He, he shared with him the suffering servant. 
That man understood, received Christ, got baptized, went back to Ethiopia, and Ethiopia right now is one of the strongest Christian nations on this planet. Power of one. The power of one. Let me share you the story. There was a Sunday school teacher in Chicago. His name was Edward Kimball. Nobody special, nobody famous, just a Sunday school teacher. And he had four unruly boys in his Sunday school class, pulled his hair out. Their little ringleader was a guy that stocked shoes down this corner store. And he took the time and he committed himself to try and reach this young man with the gospel. Went and visited him and shared with him on his lunch hour the gospel of Jesus. Finally, that little clerk in the shoe store accepted Jesus Christ, and his name was D.L. Moody, and he became saved and became a servant of the Most High God because one man shared person to person the gospel. D.L. Moody knew the power of Sunday school and began to introduce it into so many churches. He began to preach and evangelize. And as he was evangelizing, he met one man, Wilbur Chapman. Wilbur Chapman got saved under D.L. Moody's ministry, and he became an evangelist to thousands. And as he was preaching, one day there was a professional ball player who had the day off. Thought he'd come here, Wilbur Chapman. That ball player, professional ball player, was Billy Sunday, one of the most energetic evangelists of our time. Billy Sunday quit playing ball and started ministering the gospel of Jesus Christ because of a one-on-one personal relationship with someone. Billy Sunday began to preach and have evangelistic campaigns. There was a young man in his audience one time named Mordecai Ham. Mordecai Ham got saved under Billy Sunday's ministry. Mordecai Ham began to preach town to town. He went into this one small town in Charlotte, North Carolina, while he was there, he had found out in, during his preaching campaign that right across from the high school was a house of ill repute. And on lunch hour, the, the teenage boys would, would skip recess and they'd go over to the house of ill repute at lunch. Mordecai Ham began condemning this and preaching holiness and began to preach against it. The boys didn't like it much and they didn't like what was going on. They didn't like the fact that he was starting to ruin what they had as a good thing. There's one young man in that group that said, I'd never go into that place. I'll never go into that tent. I don't want to hear that guy. But when he found out that his friends were going to go and disrupt the meeting, he wanted to go see what was going to happen. He had to see this. So they got there and the tent was filled. It was to capacity They couldn't find any seats. He figured he wanted to be at least able to get in to see what those boys were going to do. And then one lowly usher came up to that young man. He said, young man, I got a chair for you. I got a seat for you. He said, no, that's all right. I'll stay here. He said, no, no, no. I'm making room for you. That usher got a chair for him and sat him down. And that young man heard Mordecai Ham preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. That young man was Billy Graham, and he got saved that day. Gave his heart to the Lord, and from the ministry of Billy Graham, 2.2 billion people have heard the gospel. Pastor, I thought you said we don't need one figure, one man. We don't. Because now in this day and age, you can reach 2 million, 4 million, 5 billion people. 
if you would begin to use the media that is at your fingertips, instead of putting your political views, instead of putting your favorite nail polish, instead of putting your opinion on the last picture you saw, if you would start preaching the gospel on Facebook, start putting the gospel on Instagram, start using what you have to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, we could get through to more people but we're cutting people's ears off with what we're putting out there. They don't want to listen because of the nonsense that we're putting out on the media. I don't care what your cheesecake look like. Preach the gospel. We have an opportunity that these men and women dreamed of. Every one of you has the opportunity, person to person, to reach millions. One to one. Now, you might say, I don't know what to preach. I don't know what to teach. Let me help you understand in a very simple process. It's called the angle scale. Nobody comes to the Lord Jesus Christ in an abrupt moment. They are led there through a series of thoughts and events. You don't have to always witness to someone unto their salvation. You simply need to plant a seed. You might be one step in the process and that carries them along. Let me help you understand it better. First of all, we have a population of people in North America that are completely unaware of God. I mean, if they wanted, information's everywhere. The preaching of the gospel is everywhere. They've chosen to ignore it. They've had their ear cut off by the church because they just see nonsense. But yet, if they could meet someone, they could ask questions of. They could see a different story from what they read in the headlines. You see, they don't have an awareness. It's all around us. We had a 12-year-old boy out here a couple summers ago. He was, uh, our youth group was out in the parking lot doing some games before Wednesday night service. He came out, thought this was cool. Then it was 7 o'clock. They all went in and said, it's time for church. And this 12-year-old said, what is church? No idea. Didn't know a single Bible story, never heard of the Bible, never heard of Jesus Christ. We're living in that age. People have no awareness of God. So when we say person to person, when I say preach the gospel, first of all, just let them know you believe in God. There is a God. If you can get that thought into their mind, because inside is eternity. God put eternity in each man's heart. It's a craving. It's a hunger. They don't know what it is. They try to fill it with anything they can. But if you would come along and help them understand there is a God. They've been taught all their lives that this is all just an accident of evolution, that none of this matters, neither do they. But you come along and tell them a different story. You were made in God's image. You are important, and God has a purpose for your life. They may not accept Christ, but you've just bumped them up in the process. Now they've come in contact with a believer. Now they have an interest in Jesus. Tell them about the real Jesus. You can say Jesus, and it means a thousand different things to different people. But if you would introduce them to the true Lord Jesus Christ that you know and that you love, begin to introduce them to the Lord Jesus Christ. They may not accept the Lord at that point, but they're now further along in the process of the Holy Spirit putting that imperishable seed in the soil. 
They begin to grasp the truth. Help them understand what the principles of Christianity are. Help them understand what it means to follow Jesus, to accept it. Help them to begin to learn. They may be mad at you. They may reject you. They may step aside. But what you planted will not return void. It's happened so many times. I've seen it over and over. When I walked away from a situation thinking, boy, did I blow that. I didn't answer them correctly. I didn't do very good. Only to get a call a week later saying, I need Jesus. They come to a place where they're ready to accept. They know the cost. They know the purpose. And they realize I have nothing else but to serve serve Jesus Christ. I am a sinner and I need a Savior. But it doesn't end there. And then after they've made that decision, they need to have confidence that they've made the right decision. They need to have an experience in the Lord. They need to learn how to pray. They need to learn the basics. They need to begin sharing their faith and continuing to grow. We can't drop them off. It took them so long to come to Christ and then we drop them because they said a prayer. We have to continue on with them. And that's what person to person is. You occupy. Their lives with the gospel, that's what an army does. It goes into the land and occupies. That's what the truth does, and we do it person to person. Once they were on the fringe, we make them a friend, and then they become family in Christ Jesus. This is imperative, my brothers and sisters. Paul said this, I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, and God made it grow. It's neither me nor Apollos or any of us, only God who waters and only God who makes things grow. It's God's work in all of this. God's drawn the lines. The battles are beginning to move. The armies are moving forward into all the lands. But there's already an occupying army in every nation. It's the church of Jesus Christ. It stands its ground. It's filled with the spirit and firepower to shoot missiles that demolish every principality and stronghold over the nations and begin to pray. And person to person as foot soldiers, you go to win the Lord lost at any cost. This morning I end sharing with you two clips, two powerful clips from some movies. The first one is a man named Oskar Schindler. He was a German man who owned a factory that he had hired Jews to work in that factory so that he could protect them and he could get them out of Germany to have them survive. He comes to a place where he realized he could have done more. I wonder when we stand before the judgment seat of Jesus Christ, will we mourn? Will we weep that we could have done more? I don't want to be like Schindler. Thank God for what he did do. But the realization comes over him and I want you to watch this and see.
could have got more. I don't know. If I just... I could have got more. Aska, there are 1,100 people who are alive because of you. Look at them. If I'd made more money... <laughs> I threw away so much money. <laughs> you have no idea. If I just... There will be generations because of what you did. I didn't do enough. You did so much. This car. Oh God, what about this car? Why did I keep the car? Ten people right there. Ten people. And more people. This pin. Two people. This is gold. Two more people. You would have given me two for it. At least one. You would have given me one. One more. One more person. A person is there. I could have got one more person, and I didn't. I, I, I didn't. <laughs> one more person, one more person, and I didn't. I wasted so much money. I don't want to be mourning when I get there. I want to be spent on saving souls. One more. One more person. How have we wasted our time and wasted our money instead of reaching the lost? There's another story that comes out of World War II. It's from Hacksaw Ridge. There was a young man a conscientious objector. Because of his faith in the Lord Jesus, he would not kill another man. But he entered the army to fight the war. And he served as a medic. And at Hacksaw Ridge, it was a 400-foot cliff. As the armies climbed up to fight, they were just uh, obliterated, the Americans. And as they were laying in the field, this young man began to rescue them and lower each person that he had saved down that hill. He saved 75 souls through the night, and he prayed one thing to the Lord God. Just one more. Help me get one more. Desmond Doss carried 75 wounded men to safety. The first conscientious objector to receive the Medal of Honor for courage under fire. Married Dorothy until she passed a 91 husband and wife. He was modest and gave all the credit to God. I was praying the whole time. I just kept praying, Lord, please help me get one more. When I got this, I said, Lord, please help me get one more.
Please, Lord, help me get one more. Help me get one more. Help me get one more. are being drawn. People are dying. One more soul. How hard is this? How hard is what God is asking us to do? I don't want my, my prayer to be, I could have done more. I want my prayer to be one more. As long as I have breath in my body, one more, Jesus, one more. Today you're going to see another. One more today. One more tomorrow. How hard is it out of 24 hours to share the love of Jesus with one more? Let's bow our heads. I stand before the army of God. I stand before those who have been commissioned to share the love of Jesus with a dying world, those lost, blind, deaf, broken, lost in sin. One more, Jesus. The power of one, one more that we could reach. I pray for an anointing on your feet to walk where you need to walk to bring the gospel. I pray for an anointing upon your hands to lift your hand to care for somebody in the love of Jesus. I pray for your mouth to speak the words of salvation and the name of Jesus to anyone that will hear. I pray for boldness for you as a people of God to share the love of Jesus. I pray for the compassion of our Savior to be so in you like a fire shut up in your bones. You can't go another day without speaking to one more soul. Every word you share has impact unto their salvation. You may not lead them in the sinner's prayer, but that's all right. You're leading them in the knowledge of Christ every step of the way. Give, give, give your love to them.